0: Hello and welcome to The Long View, a podcast that takes a closer look at the games people play. The Long View is generously hosted by 2D6.org www.2d6.org is a fantastic website and resource for gamers for reviews news walkthrough videos and so much more that's 2d6.org the longview is a proud member of the dice tower network the dice tower is a wonderful place to go to find a podcast for all of your particular gaming interests whether it's wargaming with the hex encounter Learning how to play a new game with the How to Play podcast, or listening to another great interview from the Little Metal Dog Show. The Dice Tower Network is your home for great board gaming content. The Longview is also generously sponsored by Gamesurplus.com www.gamesurplus.com is one of the best online board game retailers you can find anywhere. Thor and his family will be happy to help you locate any board game you're looking for and are often one of the first to have rare, hard-to-find imports and new releases. That's gamesurplus.com. Please tell them if you order from them that The Long View sent you, and we continue to thank them for their support. My name is Jeff Gamble, I'm the host of The Long View, and tonight I am very pleased to be joined once again by friend of the show and all-around good egg, Joel Eddy. How are you tonight, Joel?
1: I'm doing well. Am I like the Tom Hanks of uh, The Long View?
0: Yes, I think so. I think so. Yeah, either that or the, uh, who who was it uh, that was always on Saturday Night Live? And uh, Steve Martin. Um, You know, he'd been on so many times that he was now officially sort of a part of the show. (laughs) Yeah, you know, uh, you've been on the show uh, quite some time and uh, quite often, and I've been very pleased to have you on. So uh, yes, I think we can officially call you a uh, staff member of The Long View, whether you like it or not. Um, (laughs) One of the things that we uh, spent some time talking about uh, a little while back was the game Airlines Europe. And so I thought this would be a great topic for this evening's show because Airlines Europe has rather a lengthy pedigree. Um, It's a game design that goes back quite a ways, and it was re-implemented. Sort of redesigned, streamlined, and re released as Airlines Europe. And from talking with you, I understand this is one of your favorite games. And so I thought I'd take the opportunity to rope you in once again and uh, talk to you about this game of Airlines Europe. Now, for those listeners who may not be familiar with Airlines Europe, this is a game um, that is primarily a stock game. As a matter of fact, I like to think of this as almost an introductory kind of level game for stock, uh, stock buying and uh, the idea of not being the owner of any one particular thing, uh piece or uh, one particular sort of uh, um, doing a really lousy job of of describing this. But, uh, for example, in uh, Ticket to Ride, which I think many people would would say is a gateway sort of route-building game, uh, you know, you are one color of locomotives, and you are trying to make your network uh, snake its way across the country. And in Airlines Europe, it it sort of uh, takes a a very uh, simple, uh, simplified look at sort of a stock kind of game whereby you are not really only the owner of one particular airline. As a matter of fact, you have the potential to be the majority stockholder in just about every airline that's on the board. Um, So this is a game in which you, you build routes, Uh, for your airline, uh, which will increase your airline's profitability, which therefore increases the value of your airline shares. Uh, Remember, the your here is a general your. Um, On your turn, you can also do things like buy more shares of stock if you expand that airline's capabilities. You can play stock uh, out of your hand that you've bought down to the table in front of you to sort of build what they call your portfolio. This is your stock portfolio. This is also a way to kind of uh, Uh, It's an interesting mechanism in the game. It's almost a little bit like chicken because you may be holding a lot of one type of stock and perhaps other players aren't aware of it until you suddenly place it down on the table in front of you and then everyone realizes there's a new boss for the red airline. Um, So there's all sorts of interesting uh, uh, twists and turns and and mechanisms in the game. But one of the things about it that is very, very intriguing to me is just how simple this game is to play. There are just a few basic actions that you can perform. And yet the game offers, uh, in my experience, a good amount of uh, variability and replayability. It's a whole lot of fun. And it's a game that you actually can introduce people to. I, I would say it's almost a gateway game. So Joel, what I'd like to do now that I've kind of uh, babbled on a bit about the, the basics of the game and, and what I view to be the, the sort of core mechanisms of the game is to have you introduce it as well and see if, if have anything you'd like to add to what I, I had to say about that, but also tell me as usual what it is about this game that, that has you so interested or that caught your attention and why this has become one of your favorite games.
1: Uh, Another game of this vein uh, and sort of similar complexity would be probably Acquire. And that's a game that I've enjoyed. And, you know, it's an Alan R. Moon game. And when the time it was coming out, it was, you know, it was purported that he had spent three years kind of refining the design. And the design had come from originally Airlines in like 1990 and then Union Pacific, neither of which I've played. And so I just wanted to pick it up and, uh, and try it, and uh, it seemed like a nice simplified stock game. You know, I've always been a sort of a fan of uh, some of the winsome train games like Chicago Express and uh, German Railways. I played that recently, and, and I also like Steam and things like that. So, um, so that's what kind of got me interested in it. I would say that you say it's almost a gateway game, and I would say it probably is a gateway game. Uh, I think that uh, I have a sort of uh, hidden agenda, not necessarily hidden, but I have a sort of outlook on a worldview in a sense of, I think that sometimes uh, gamers within sort of the inner circle don't give non-gamers enough credit or whatever it might be that they can actually uh, grasp certain things. And I think that uh, like Ticket to Ride, for example... Is a fine gateway game, but I have played it with people non gamers that are that think it's too simplistic and they're non gamers where I think there's just enough little bit of extra stuff going on in Europe that you know anybody can pick up if they've if they have any sort of background and and cognizance of, uh, you know, stock and sort of a budget and things like that sort of basic bookkeeping skills. Um, They can they can get right into this and and it has you know that set collection aspects to it I'd say the one thing that keeps it from being what like a really hardcore gateway game is I don't think that uh, necessarily a lot of groups could pick up the game and And open it up and read the rules and play it. I think you probably need a gamer there to kind of lead people just in through the first couple of turns because, like, the one thing in the rule book that sticks out to my mind that sort of prevents the, the uber-gatewayness of the game is the setup of that deck of cards. You've got to take, and it's not very difficult, I think it's just something that, uh, you know, people aren't used to with games. You don't just open the, the box and then start playing, necessarily. There's a little bit of setup with that. And so, you know, you got to take like the 10 cards and, you know, shuffle in the scoring card and then split the deck in half and then split it into a quarter and then shuffle them up. Um, there's actually a variant in the back that's actually much more simpler. Um, but, um, but yeah, I'd say it's pretty close to being a gateway game.
0: Yeah, I think uh, you, you picked up on a couple of ideas there that uh, I'd like to chime in on. Um, and I think that, yeah, you are right. Uh, I think that most people can pick up um, this kind of game. And I think maybe we don't give the you know average non-gamer uh, enough credit. Um, another game uh, that leaps to mind where I kind of first experienced what you're talking about was uh, the Martin Wallace game Steel Driver. Um, Steel Driver has some similarities actually to what we're talking about which is Airlines Europe uh, in that it is a, a stock game at its heart and it's also a route building kind of a game. It just adds in this sort of pick up and deliver mechanic towards the end um, and, and I mean I taught that game to my father-in-law and to other members of uh, my family and my wife's family, and and they had absolutely no problem uh, picking the game up. However, I do agree with you that if I had, you know, given that to them as a gift, I think it would have sat there until I got around to teaching them. Um, and right. I think that that just goes... Again, you know, to what we've talked about before, you know, we've talked about it in other podcasts and and others have mentioned this as well, which is, you know, it's always such an advantage. It's a huge advantage to have someone who's experienced with a game teach you the game. It it simplifies it, um, you know, just just by an order of magnitude uh, to have someone who is there to sort of explain the game and the nuances. Uh, the other thing that i would I would like to chime in on uh, though is is you know the, the deck part that you're talking about I mean that is definitely a barrier. There are some games that do that I know downfall of Pompeii which is one that my family has enjoyed for years, uh, although they've kind of gotten past the point of playing that anymore, um, that had a very similar thing. We had to sort of construct the deck, and you had to shuffle in these Omen cards and these uh, other cards uh, that, that sort of uh, triggered the phases of the game that happened when the uh, volcano uh, outside of poor Pompeii begins to seethe and then erupt. So uh, again, yes, I think that those kinds of games where you have to construct a deck can be a little bit intimidating. Uh, the other thing about Airlines Europe, though, in particular, that I find is a little bit difficult for new players to grasp is the idea of the Air Abacus uh, stock. Um, it, it's very easy. In this game, uh, for people who might not be familiar with it, there are just different colored airlines. And there are, each airline has been renamed after a game company. So Hans and Gluck or uh, you know, Rio Grande, I believe, is in there. And so there's all these different... Airlines that are named after game companies, and so, but each airline is really only distinguished by its color. Um, So you know, there's there's red and orange and green. We'll talk about red and orange later. There's red and orange and and green and white and black and all these different colors. I think there's about like eight in all, and so. Uh, you know the airlines are really uh, strictly identified by their colors, and so when you get shares or or stock for those companies, they're also color coded as well. So it's extremely easy to kind of, you know, grasp the concept of all right. I am sticking a little. They have these lovely little plastic airplanes. I'm putting this airplane down on this route, and you know I'm going to be going from Rome to Athens or or whatever it happens to be, and that makes my airline more profitable now. And you know I've I've moved. You know, put a red airplane down, the red stock shares go up. But then there's this separate deck of shares called Air Abacus, and they're sort of an abstraction. In other words, it's a way for you to junk stock that you either, uh, you know, have in your hand or are holding. You kind of jettison dead stock if no one is developing, say, the white airline Uh, halfway, three-quarters of the way through the game, and you just think it's going to be a dog, you might want to jettison that stock and pick up shares of this Air Abacus. However, there's nothing on the map for Air Abacus. There's no planes you're going to put out. There's no nothing. It's a simple who has the majority of stock gains this much in victory points so it's an abstraction that i have found is a little bit difficult for new players because they're looking for the corresponding airplane somewhere on the map or a corresponding color and there is none have you found that to be a barrier as well joel yeah i have um but the
1: thing with that is is like once you have your first scoring round if you make it a point to actually just get some of that stock at the beginning and then when you go through and score all of the airlines and then at the end you score air abacus and you and you probably have showed them the scoring table before the game started, mm-hmm. but then they probably ignored it. Right. But then you it see you score the points and they're like, Oh, okay. And so, and that's a lot of, that happens quite a bit with this game where it's like halfway through the game, people are going to get it. You know, they, at the beginning of the game, beginning of the game, they may not, you know, pick up on everything. And, but I, halfway through the game, you're, they're going to have picked up on it. And, uh, And so I don't I don't really hold that against the game in terms of it being a gateway that you have to realize everything the first time you play it. And I think that's actually a more of a gateway attribute than anything because they realize, oh, okay, so I'm going to actually learn new things as the game evolves and as I play it more. And I think that's a good core concept to introduce to people.
0: Well, that's an excellent point, and uh, maybe it goes back to your sort of uh, your 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 goal for this evening. You know, maybe I'm still kind of talking like a gamer who is underestimating, uh, you know, the 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 audience of a typical you know average non gamer that's you know or a friend that you get together with. So maybe this is uh, part and parcel of the new Joel Eddy Manifesto, uh, we'll call it, <laughs> which is yes, you too can play games. That'll be the title of the manifesto. <laughs> but.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, one thing before, just to kind of wrap up that whole point so we don't sidetrack too much, is I find of uh, somebody buying a game as, and giving a game as a gift and then expecting that family or whoever you gave it to to be able to play it out of the box, if there's not a gamer in that group, it's just not going to happen no matter, almost no matter what game it is. I mean, it's possible that something like sale, maybe ticket to ride, but you really have to have somebody there that maybe isn't quite a gamer but they're a gamer inside they just don't know it yet that is going to spend time reading the rules and setting up the pieces and going okay this is how it works and so i think it's a it's sort of a a myth or, or a straw man of, in some sense to say oh this game could will always be picked up and, and and played by a group of total non-gamers i think you always need somebody to sort of lead in and say hey look this is this is a new thing this this is there's, there's this hobby that exists or whatever or this type of thing and you always need somebody to, to have you know kind of lead you along. I don't think there's anything in life, a, lo- a lot of times, that people are just going to pick up. You always need somebody to teach you. I mean, you don't just start driving a car, which is one of the most mainstream things in the society. You have to have somebody there to lead you into it. So that whole idea is I've kind of gone back and forth with people about that. And they're like, well, they can never just pick it up. And I'm like, what game would people just pick up? Catan, you, you can't buy that and just pick that up either. You really need somebody there to show everybody the first, you know, couple of turns at least.
0: Yeah, that's so. an interesting point, and and you know, again, it, it might be an assumption that you know people make. Um, you know, and, and I, I kind of go back as I'm following your train of thought here. I kind of go back to you know my early childhood memories. I mean, you know, simple card games like Crazy Eights and uh, things like that. I mean, people had to teach me that. I I, I didn't. Right. I didn't just sit down and and read a a Hoyle's book of games and learn how to play crazy eights. I mean, and that's part of the social aspect, I think, of the hobby that draws us all into it is, you know, that that notion of, you know, we're going to get together with other people and, you know, hang out and and play a game. and, And that sort of, you know, teaching and learning kind of dynamic that goes on, um, I think you're right. I think maybe there's there's something that we're missing about that, and we just kind of assume that well, if a game is simple enough, you know, anyone can pick it up and play it. Well, number one, uh, they may be, you know, certainly intelligent enough to to read through the rules and play it, but there's that that sort of barrier that that you know that that sort of inertia that has to be created. Um, You know, typically people don't try anything new, uh, whether it's a a new genre of book or whether it's a game or whether it's listening to a different style of music than they're used to, unless there's someone to kind of get the ball rolling. And so I think what you're describing is that very kind of notion of, you know, you kind of need a little bit of a guide. You need someone to give you a little nudge, someone to sort of assist you down the road. And then, you know, once you gain a little confidence, just like driving, to borrow your metaphor, um, you know, you're ready to go. Uh, You're ready to travel. You're ready to check things out and do things. So uh, I, I, I think I, you know, understand your point And uh, there, there could be a danger that, you know, when you just plop games. I mean, I, I plopped Carcass. I'm guilty of it. So that's why I'm kind of extending this.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, I got Carcassome for my father-in-law and uh, mother-in-law for Christmas one year because, uh, you know, they had seen it at our house. Now, they didn't actually have the chance to sit down and play it, but we had just finished up a game when they got in and they saw it and they were very interested in it. And because they like puzzles, they like to build uh jigsaw puzzles. So, I think when they looked at it, they looked at it almost like a puzzle. Like, oh, isn't this kind of cool? You know, you oh, so so you're making this. Oh, okay. And oh, and there's rules just like when you play with, you know, when when you make a puzzle. Oh, this has to go like this. Oh, okay. And they sort of intuitively grasp that and I thought oh awesome you know I know just what I'll get them for Christmas and I got a copy of Carcassonne and they saw they're very excited oh this is great this is great and it sat on the shelf for the next six months until yeah. I finally was just like hey did you ever play that And they're like no and I'm like all right well let, let me let me show you and once I showed it to them you know that that kind of you know that 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 got it going, and so I think you're right. I think that you you always need a guide, regardless of of what the endeavor is. Yeah. So let's circle back to airline zero. Now that we have the core concepts of the uh, Eddie Manifesto um, in if solidly in place. Um, hey, I mean, <laughs> if those other guys can have uh, what what is it, the Jones rule. If Cody Jones can have the jo- Jones rule, you can have the Eddie Manifesto. I, I say we coin that right now. Um, the Eddie
1: Theory. The The Eddie Eddie theory.
0: theory (laughs) (laughs) The Eddie theory. (laughs) I like that. All right. Well, okay. Maybe we'll go with the Eddie theory over the manifesto. Manifesto is a little bit of a scary word. So maybe we'll go with the Eddie theory. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Anyway. All right. We're totally off track, but that's all right. So Airlines Europe, right? We were talking about all of this because Airlines Europe is in many ways kind of a gateway game. Um, and it's also a gateway to a larger world. It's kind of funny because, you know, you described to me your process of getting um, intrigued by Airlines Europe based on games that are much kind of heavier than Airlines Europe in some way. I mean, Steam and, you know, uh, it's it's uh, older brother age of Steam, um, you know, despite whatever weird trademark copyright wars were going on there. Um You know, those games are much more complex. I mean, Chicago Express, I think, is probably on par. But even that, um, there's a little bit more going on there as far as, like, you know, development of cities and things of that nature in that game. So you kind of came from the heavy end and then found yourself very intrigued by this end. So what do you think accounts for that?
1: Well, I didn't really quite know the, the heaviness or lightness of Airlines Europe. Um, my impression was of Union Pacific, just from some of the random things I read on the internet was that it was about a medium weight game. And so I said, oh, okay. And then I said, it's basically the same, but it's in, you know, it's with airlines and it's not with trains. Um, but you know, and I'd be kind of been looking for a game that I could just play with about anybody. Um, but you know, my background as a gamer is a little bit, probably, I don't, I don't even really want to get into it, but if you, if you exclude my childhood, you know, where I played things like Monopoly, but also things like Dragonlance and Buck Rogers and Mystery Mansion. And, you know, I had that sort of background there and then sort of jumped in sort of feet first into like Lonehurst and Carcassonne and, oh, what else did I play? Power Grid was one of the first ones that I played, you know, when that came out. And and so I was I was receptive to that kind of thing because I was sort of a... You know, I played video games, and and I'm just kind of a general geek. So I had sort of a front-loaded, you know, gaming career, if you will. I kind of had that first hop into sort more of the medium to heavy games. And so I think I've kind of tried to work my way back, especially as I've gotten a family, you know, with kids. I've been looking for a game that, you know, I can play with, you know, with my kids and my wife and my, my, my parents, but also something that I will still enjoy. Um, you know, because there are certain kind of games like Martian Dice or something, we'll play that with my youngest son. And that's fine, but it's not, I don't really get anything out of it. Where I think as Airlines Europe, not that it's a game I'd play with my son, but, you know, i will play with my folks and stuff. Uh, I'll still get something out of it. And so I, I, really, I really think that's where my love for Airlines Europe comes into play, is I can take that to my gamer group and they'll, they'll request to play that. And you know my folks request to play it, so it's something that you know it hits that nice even keel, um, you know between each each sort of side of the game or perspective.
0: Yeah, I think that's definitely true. It's 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 a game you know that is something that I'll still want to pull out and play, um, you know, even with, you know, gamers who are a little bit, you know, into more things that are generally heavier. Um, but, you know, if I suggest Airlines Europe, you know, people are usually up for it. So, um, so, so we've talked about the fact that the game is accessible. We've talked about the fact that it, it could even possibly be called a, a gateway game, um, and it's a great introduction to stock games and sort of stock manipulation games. So what else about this game tickles your fancy? What, what else uh, about it, you know, the gameplay itself um, is something that you enjoy that makes it a, a sort of a perennial favorite for you?
1: Well, it's again, it's a simplistic rule set. Like you said at the beginning, you've got four possible actions you can buy. Uh, extend a route, and then take some stock or dump some stock in front of you into your portfolio, and then you get some money for that. And then you can trade in for the abacus, and then you can get take $8 million. And that's the simplicity of your turn. You have four options, you choose one, and then you go. And the game plays very quickly, but it has a little bit of this sort of leeching aspect that I like in stock games without necessarily the screwage aspect along with that. Mm. So if if you've got, you know, two shares of white, then I can, uh, or let's say you've got 10 shares of red or something, because there's a lot more red Then I can plop down one share of red and then kind of leach those second place points for very little, you know, uh, commitment on my part. And so, especially when you get more and more players, you get up to the four and five player count. You can, you can really kind of kind of cat and mouse and kind of be a little bit of a weasel there and try to, you know, maximize your point scoring without having to do a lot of work To you know build up and extend the route and you can kind of ignore that and then you maybe focus on one airline a lot and really dominate the points there And then there's a lot of sort of it has a very nice sort of thin layer of I'm not sure what the 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 right wording is tier, but it's sort of like a a muscling Some of these other train games with the auction aspect, but like take the abacus for example so if I jump early on and I grab two shares of Abacus, um, it's sort of a scare tactic in a way. Now, two shares isn't going to be scary, but you can kind of scare people away from your airline. And so you can you can kind of guarantee that you're going to get the maximum number of points. Again, they're going to leech off of you without being able to screw you too much. But it has those sort of basic fundamentals in there. Uh, you know They're not omnipresent over, the or overbearing or anything to drive away non-gamers, but the, those aspects are still there.
0: Yeah, I like the uh the point that you made about the leeching because that that's definitely true. You know, I always refer to it as drafting, you know, for for the people who like to get right behind the big rig and let the yeah. big rig push all the wind out of the way and uh uh you know, kind of uh tailgate and draft them. Um you know, it, it it's a really sound strategy too. And and I think that for a lot of people that I've introduced this game to, that's been a bit of a revelation, you know, the idea that if I'm like in second place Everywhere mm-hmm. that's better than being in first place in two or three, you know, in two or three airlines. Mm-hmm. And, you know, this this is one of those things that I think for people who are not used to gaming, this, this is like a big deal. You know, I remember when I played it with my friend Zach and introduced him. I mean, that was one of the things that he loved about it. He's, you know, exactly what you were talking about. He's like, well, man, I only have to, I only have to invest a, a, in a couple of shares of of this airline in order to get second place points, and then it almost became a tug of war between the leeches. You know, it's like yeah, Zach yeah. and somebody else were kind of fighting over second place because, as you had said. It wasn 't necessarily a scare tactic, but it was like it was a clear dominance like it, it was like, okay, you know I have six shares of red or eight shares of red, and like you said, it probably shouldn 't have them, but maybe I needed the money, and I just was dealt sure, sure. a lot of red shares, and you get two million for every share that you plop down on the table in front of you in this game, and normally you 're only restri- you 're restricted to two shares. Uh, that you can put down but if you have multiples of the same stock the same color of share you can put as many of those down as you want at at one time and so it's a way for you to generate income because you know, as you said, Joel, you, you can, as one of your options, you can, you know, just take $8 million. And that's, you know, something that often you just need to do. But it is kind of a suboptimal thing to have to do. And I, I kind of find that the players who do really well, do that, that option less probably than any other option, because right. it, you're, you're basically spending your entire turn to pass to invest yourself with some capital. In the meantime, others are locking up routes and taking up spaces on the board because it is something worth mentioning uh, in this game that you know roots are limited, root space is limited, so you can block other people from trying to reach destinations. Uh, you can uh, make it so that it's more expensive for people to use the same route because, you know, the first time that you claim a particular route, it's going to be relatively inexpensive. The next person's going to have to pay more. The next person, if it's possible for three airlines to share the same route, for example, between two cities, it's going to be even more expensive. And that's another uh, part of the game that I wanted to bring up because it's a, it's a really interesting kind of dichotomy in the game because, on the one hand, in the early stages of the game, you need to have things as cheap as possible. You're looking for cheap routes. You're looking to just bump that share value up without bankrupting yourself and having to do the suboptimal, all right, I'm going to take 8000000 million, I'm going to take $8 million. Um, But as the game goes on, you're, you actually start to actively seek out, at least in my experience, the most ridiculously expensive routes that you can find. Because mm-hmm. in this game... If I claim a route that costs me, say, $3 million, that's how much my share goes up. It goes up by three. If it's five, my share goes up by five. So it actually later in the game becomes almost a battle for who can lock up the really expensive routes when money is flowing uh, perhaps a little bit more than it was before. So there's, there's a whole lot, like you said, going on in the game, but it's not so dense and off-putting that it's going to drive people away. What it does do is it it does just enough with a very simplistic rule set to offer those little glimpses into what this type of game can offer through, like you said, leeching, or through this idea of managing your economy and trying to you know not waste turns by simply taking money. Um, do you find that that's true as well, or um, have you found that you know people? are not looking, you know, in late game stages for those more expensive routes. What are your thoughts on that?
1: No, yeah, you really are. Um, there's a couple of the airlines specifically, uh, I think it's the white and the gray, that uh, you can kind of go around the outside of the board because they kind of start at the ends of the map. And there are more expensive routes on the sort of circumference of the outer rim of Europe, and in, in, but there's less of them. And then, but once you kind of get into the the center of Europe around Paris and things like that, there's a lot more. But there's a lot more cheaper ones as well. So you can actually really, if you can get sort of a stranglehold on white or gray uh, early on, you can go ramp that up really quickly. And and even uh, I think I've seen it. I'm trying to remember if it was the first scoring card or right after. I think by the first scoring card, somebody had maxed out gray all the way to the top of the board. And and then they had dominated the uh, the, the, gray, the uh, gray shares of stock and really got a, a nice early lead. Um, but then again, that sets it up for people to leech off it once those grays come up, because each airline has you know a different number of shares and airplanes, so there's sort of a scarcity. Um, so yeah, that sort of aspect is really interesting. Is is it's not going to be apparent, especially to a non-gamer, I think, uh, right away, is how the map is really composed and how important the the lack of or, or abundance of the different stocks and airlines are um you know and i think that it makes the game more replayable in that sense and it, it the variability of, of how those stocks come out can really sort of change sort of the, how the market uh, you know reacts and, and, and which airlines get bought out and stuff like that
0: yeah and there's there 's some really elegant things about that. you know You mentioned the fact that not every airline has the same number of shares. One of the things I absolutely love is that you know the shares have a number at the bottom of them that basically tells you the number of shares of that stock that there are in the game so I think green is like eight or something ridiculous it 's very small um, and, and so you can kind of you know tell just by looking around the table and, and kind of counting. Okay, how many shares of this stock are out? What's still possibly in the deck up for grabs? Am I going to be able to, you know, perhaps make a play and and grab that later? Am I better off just trying to stay in second place and push another airline? Um, And often I've seen, you know, you mentioned someone jumping out to an early lead. I've seen that. But I've also seen someone late in the game take a total dog and turn it into a powerhouse. Yeah. Um, you know, very quickly, um, you know, seemingly out of nowhere, uh, you know, maybe an airline has been languishing, you know, the blue airline has just been kind of sitting uh, very unprofitable. No one's really developed it or, or done anything. And then someone all of a sudden just starts investing in it. And by the end of the game, it's, it's one of the top airlines because perhaps the board space has become too crowded or, um, you know, uh, the, the, the sort of jockeying for stock position uh, has slowed down expansion. Or maybe uh, you know it, it just just that sort of uh, internal dynamic that happens during this game over you know trying to keep track of you know who 's in first and second and third position on each of these stocks um, sometimes we'll allow someone to sneak up with a, an airline that used to be a dog and maybe everyone had been dumping that that blue airline stock for air Abacus and then someone all of a sudden uh, turns it into a winner so Right. You know again I, that that's something else that's that's a really fascinating part of the game to me along with the other thing that you mentioned which is that there's different numbers of airplanes available for each of the different airlines. So some airplane or some airlines only have, you know, a very few uh, a small amount of planes and some have uh, a huge amount of planes. And again, the number of planes is matched by the number of shares of stock. And so it's very easy to see, okay, how many white planes are out on the board and how many are there going to be left? Uh, And while we're talking about that, I've heard quite enough, thank you very much, about the Lords of Waterdeep um, uh, box insert. I say (laughs) Airlines Europe has the better box insert because... It holds all of those planes. It's very easy to see how many planes are in those during the game. It's a beautiful thing. And my vote is for Airlines Europe because every time I try to stick those little, those little point tokens in Lords of Waterdeep, they shoot out. The money uh-huh. pops out and sprays all over the place. So, Lords of Waterdeep, nice. Airlines Europe, better. Okay, there. I said it.
1: Yeah, I agree. Yeah, you can actually use the insert while you play. Yes. Yeah.
0: Uh, And and that's you know that's that's a a nice ergonomic issue. You know it's it's one of those things where it's one of the few games where I haven't had to ditch the insert. Um. And and I appreciate that. Um. So many games today come kind of packaged in these boxes, and then once you've punched everything, you're like, there's no way this is going to fit back in this box with whatever ridiculous insert they had in there. And it's like, oh, I got to get rid of it. So uh, yeah, no, I definitely like uh, that insert and uh, think it's very functional for the game as well. Now. While we're on the topic of ergonomics and, and things like that, I, I usually leave that for last because, quite frankly, it's it's not always the thing that interests me most in talking about games. But I got to tell you, uh, we recently did an episode, I'm sure you'll remember, Joel, uh, with uh, uh, Jesse, who reminded us about colorblind players mm-hmm. and how difficult it can be sometimes to distinguish um, uh, colors of playing pieces and whatnot for someone who maybe um, has has issues with uh, seeing certain colors. I got to tell you, man, I'm not colorblind, and yet some of the color choices in this game, um, in particular, the red and the orange, are are oh my gosh, they're hard. I, I don't maybe it's just my set, and that's why I wanted to bring it up because the 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 red and the orange. Uh, are are so close in color that sometimes it's almost impossible for me to determine which is which. Uh, is that just my set out of curiosity, or ha- have you had the same problem?
1: I don't think it's just your set. Now, the planes are a big problem, uh, but the the stock cards aren't, don't seem to be that much of a problem.
0: No, yeah, Um
1: that, That's really the only color, and I'm not colorblind at all, um, but that's the only uh, one that I have any problem with it all the yellow and the orange are pretty much um far apart the cards and the planes and it's just those red and orange planes and don't put them next to each other in the little trays because you may (laughs) reach and grab one and not realize oh oh, I grabbed the wrong one, and three turns later you you got to figure out what you did. Yeah,
0: you know? that can be a huge problem because of the uh, the scarcity of the plane. So I agree with you there. Um, yeah. I, I guess you know that that kind of leads to my other point, which is now, you, please correct me if I'm wrong because I haven't played this in a little while. I mean, I, I played the heck out of it when I first got it. I probably got a good 15, 20 plays into this game. Um, but in the rules for fewer players... They ask you to remove certain airlines, and those Mm -hmm. airlines are not going to be in the game. And yet, they didn't take advantage of that by having the red and the orange at opposite ends of the spectrum.
1: (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. no, they didn't. And
0: and, and I think that that would have gone a long way towards alleviating that problem. Because I'm aware there's only so many colors. I mean, geez, they have purple, uh, brown, gray, uh, white, uh, black blue green and then we have the red and the orange right so that's that what is that nine so we've got all these different colors and i understand that you know there's only so many colors that you can have um maybe lavender no <laughs> <laughs> yeah turquoise the turquoise yes turquoise would have been lovely and then people would have complained about the blue and the green and the turquoise but yeah, yeah. so i i just kind of i wish if there was one thing that i could go back to uh the designer uh, of the game and 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 more importantly the 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 publisher of the game and say look you know it would have been a simple matter to switch around which airline color had which number of stocks and make it so that uh you know that those two colors are only in the mix together in the full game
1: right right
0: so um one of the things that at the heart of this game that I'd like to kind of touch back on uh, that you mentioned earlier that is something that has been a theme that's come up. You know, I'd, I've, I've been doing this show for a little while now and uh, had the good fortune to talk to a lot of people about games and game design and people who really have drawn my attention to a lot of things that I haven't thought of before. One of those things is simplicity of rule set. You know, that, that a game can be uh, a very deep, uh, very strategic very interesting, have a lot of replayability, and yet have a very simple, elegant rule set. And that's one of the things that really attracts me about this game, because while I would not describe it as heavy in any way, shape, or form, I think there are real kind of strategic decisions that you have to make. Um, I understand that some people are going to say, no, the game is too random, because... There's this sort of, uh, for people who aren't familiar with the game, I believe there's there's five shares of stock that are always laid out and available, so that mm-hmm. if you expand an airline's route by paying money to expand the route and placing one of their planes, you then get to claim a share of stock, um, and and so I know that there's people out there going to say, well, no, you know, it's not really strategic because not all shares of stock are available you know you're kind mm-hmm. of with the luck of the draw or you're allowed to I believe take the top share blind yeah. um, you know just like you can in, in in many games and so I know that people would argue that but I kind of view that as as kind of like thematic because you know you you, you don't always have access to the shares that you might like you know uh, some corporations don't even trade publicly uh, for for years and years until they decide they need an infusion of cash so I don't really look at it as, as something that cuts down on the theme or the strategy, but it's something that I have to work around and something that can be mm-hmm. quite frustrating. You know, if I've got white, and uh, I keep talking about white, but it could be any color. I uh, Let's say green, because green has very limited shares as well. So let's say I have green, and I I have, you know, three shares of green, and I think there's only eight or nine of green in there, and it's like, okay, I've probably got this locked up for a while. And then, you know, I, I take a share of blue and then boom, someone flip you know, the, the, the replacement car comes up and it's a green. And I'm like, oh, God, you know, all right, there's yeah. the green. Now it's out there. And, you know, Tim has two green to my three. Crap. Am I going to lose control of this airline or or worse yet, have to share it? So, <laughs> right, right. you know, so what, what are your thoughts on... The strategy in this game—is there enough meat there with this simple rule set, streamlined game, that it really does offer a depth of strategy, or would you say it's too light for that?
1: Uh, I don't know. I—the it, thing that I like about the display of cards and, and and the deck of cards is you kind of show that to a poker player, and this is this is probably why my dad really likes this game so much—is he sort of fancies himself a a, a a hobbyist poker pro you know i mean he doesn't play at the casinos and stuff he has in the past when he was younger but he, if you can if you can lay out a set of cards to him that looks like the flop and hold them he's like <laughs> okay let's what's this game about and that's really what it kind of looks where's like where's the river <laughs> yeah exactly yeah exactly he loves that he I and mean, he he loves to pull blind from the deck as well um and so the thing that you're right the, the, the situation that you brought up where, like, you pulled a blue and then it flopped out green and, you know, green was the one that you were into. And then the person to your left is guaranteed to take the green or the next person that, you know, uh, builds an airline route and then takes a share will, will take the green pretty much guaranteed. But on the other hand, the other aspect of it is if there's nothing really out there and you see somebody kind of pulling blue quite a bit, you've got to kind of keep, keep track of that in your head. And it kind of gets that whole hidden versus open information idea. Um, you know, a lot of people make comments against the hidden information, and, and there's, there's merit to, to their opinions, and I, and I do actually sort of agree with them for the most part. But I think if you were to have, like, complete open information, the game would, would not be what it's meant to be. And I think if you didn't have that little, little bit of luck, um, the game wouldn't be what it's supposed to be. This game is not supposed to be hyper-strategic and hyper-deep. It's supposed to have a little bit of it, and, you know, there's there's just some tactics to it. And I don't necessarily think that every game has to be, you know, strategic perfection to be a good game. It's just each game sort of, you know, I think I've said this before on the show, is actually, you know, each game starts as a kernel of an idea or something, and then it grows and grows until it's done. And I think that's where this game is. It is what it is, and it's it's just, it's the kind of game that it is. And it does have strategic decisions. It does have, it does have very meaningful decisions. But, again, you can get a little bit, you know, thrown off your, your rails by the luck. But I don't think the luck is that drastic. I don't think you're going to win or lose a game um, by the flop of the cards. Now, you may win or lose a game by a couple of points. But if you've been doing your job better than everybody else, then you, you should come out on top. So, it just kind of depends.
0: Yeah, I, I often uh, uh, also find that this is a, um, a great game that offers that uh, glimpse into the sort of strategic um, decisions that are involved in some other meteor games, which is, you know, don't just get on one horse and ride it. Yeah. Um, you know, and and a lot of new players to this game, especially people who aren't familiar with stock kind of games, uh, have that propensity, you know. Um and and we all have that propensity, myself included, of feeling that sense of proprietorship. You know, when when I had that green stock and green was mine, and I looked upon my empire and said, "Yeah, this is good, right?" And then <clears throat> someone takes a green share, I'm almost personally <laughs> insulted by that. I'm like, "Wait a minute, that's right. mine." You know, what are right. you doing? And uh, I I think that uh, this game is a fantastic game for for teaching people, like you said, through leeching or Drafting, as I called it, whatever term you want to use, and through the idea of you know, you, you want to have your fingers in a lot of different pies. Um, rather than just trying to sort of, you know, pick a horse and ride it to victory. Because one of the things I really do enjoy about this game is that there's a ceiling. You know, there there, there is a ceiling. And it, it's very difficult to reach that ceiling, but you can. The, the ceiling being the, the max value that uh, a particular stock can have. And mm-hmm. so... You know, because of that simple fact, and because there's so many different airlines, depending on how many people you're playing with, um, you, you know, you really can't put all your apples in that one cart. Um, I think that's like the fourth now sort of metaphor that I've used. You can't can't put all your eggs in one basket. There's another one, and and I think that that's a a great kind of part of the game is uh, that sort of like you said, that sort of strategic kind of feel of okay wh- wh- what's the you know the horse that I think is a winner, but then where's the comer you know where where where's yeah. the one that's coming you know and and, right, and right. what's the dark horse you know where's that blue airline that's languishing that I'm just going to be able to you know plop down a bunch of shares, make a lot of money, expand it right before the end of the game and sneak the game out from underneath everybody who thought I was out of it so mm-hmm. there's there's all of these kinds of aspects of the game that I think um, make it a little more deep than people would at first believe.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would say um, one thing to keep in mind. Are you still there? Oh, yeah. Okay, sorry. That's okay. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll continue to keep in mind. Okay. Um, is there's also going to be, and I feel a little bit remiss if we don't mention this, is the luck of when those scoring cards appear. Because you have sort of the one card sort of a quarter way down, and then basically halfway down again, and then finally the third scoring card. And I, that's a, something that I think is, again, a, maybe sort of a mark against it being a gateway game. I don't think it's, it's, a, it's that big of a deal. But the whole aspect of, of having multiple payouts or multiple scorings, instead of like, you know, you play the game and then you score it at the end, which I think most people that are non-gamers are, are used to. Right. This one has three. So I've seen people when they were learning this game, non-gamers, uh, try to build up an airline, but and then try to try to do as you say to kind of score it big at the end, when they really could have been scoring it big from the second, and then fi- the, finally the third scoring round, and they really should have been doing that, and they they probably would have you know won or, or been in a lot better shape.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, so that, that I really like that aspect of it though, because once people kind of learn that, then it becomes sort of a tension-building uh, exercise. Where, the funny thing is, is that people, it, 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 let me kind of restart here, is when you buy uh, airplanes and then, and then you get the stock, that actually pushes the game along. Right. And I think that's, a, that's an aspect of the game. You know, as people are buying the planes, they're grabbing shares, the deck's being depleted, those scoring cards are getting closer and closer and closer. Whereas if any of the other actions that you do, taking money, laying shares in front of you, getting abacus, those aren't going to push the game along. And so it becomes sort of this nice little meta game, whereas, okay, if you see somebody take $8 million, you go, okay, well, I've got an opportunity to take $8 million on my next turn because they haven't really pushed the game along. And so maybe I can build up a nice reserve of cash and then buy up some of those really extra valuable, uh, you know, routes. And I think that's an, another thing for people to learn and maybe even gamers to learn because nobody's, nobody's going to sit down and, like, figure a game out. You know just by reading the rules maybe there's people like that I'm not one of those but um, you know it, it, that's a sort of a nice it has a nice sort of uh, paradox there, almost in a way is that the non-gamer is gonna have to learn that there's gonna be multiple scorings and really prepare but you, you've got a sort of balancing act of, of setting yourself up to when am I gonna play these cards so like let's say I grab some abacus cards in there in my hand and then dang it, that scoring card came up before I had a chance to lay him uh, down. So I'm not even in the running.
0: Nothing worse than that. You, 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 you invest in them and you don't get them in front of you. I know exactly what you're talking about.
1: Yeah. So I think that's, that's a big frustration for people. And I understand that. And I understand if you don't like any push or luck in your, in your games, then, then yeah, you're not going to appreciate that. But it's, uh, it, it's just, you got to, you know, do, do optimally with the time given what you can do. And, uh. And again it's it's more of a gateway level game so I give it that cut it some slack in that aspect.
0: Right, right. But I do like what you're saying that you know the players in many ways have some control over the pace and flow of the game and when the game's going to end and it's funny yeah. because that's exactly the point that uh, Joe uh, Huber and Eric Brocius brought up about 18XX games which is that you know the players actually have a large degree of control Uh, over the pace of the game Uh, Mm -hmm. and you can accelerate uh, towards the end game uh, by uh, you know causing other people's locomotives to rust um, or you know you can simply continue to try to rake in profits and see how long people are going to let you get away with that uh, before you know they buy the next sort of level of locomotive and you know render yours obsolete. So this game has a little bit of that as well and it's funny because you know you mentioned that and uh looking back through my memories of playing this game you're absolutely right it's like if it it's almost like if one person was just like ah i'm going to take 8 million then almost everybody sort of has that oh okay, well, I'll take $8 million. And then, you know, it's like yeah. a Bugs Bunny. And me boss, and, and me boss, and me boss. And everyone kind of puts their hands out for their $8 million. And what I find is really interesting is that um, that, that sort of, you know, as you said, when, when you don't have that pressure from the other players to be investing money and spending money, you will try to kind of maybe gather some money and hoard it. And then, you know, interestingly enough, uh, you know, when a player takes that take money option, you'll, you'll generally, at least in my experience, see a couple of other players going around the table. Start taking that 8 million as well, figuring, well, it's kind of like, you know, in Glory to Rome, for example, you can kind of pass your turn and, and just think. Um, Mm -hmm. And if you do that, then a lot of times the other player will say, oh, well, then I'll just think because I'm no worse off by doing that than I was before when I thought they were going to take a turn, but they didn't, and it'll Mm -hmm. let me gather more cards. It's that same kind of dynamic. But what I find interesting is that um, a lot of times the player who doesn't do that, the player who doesn't have to, maybe they already had a reserve of cash and can make you know a cup you know make that big move right then when everybody else is kind of taking cash sometimes gains a, a little bit of a, 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 a sort of a little bit of an advantage or a leg up on the competition
1: mm-hmm.
0: so you know there's all of these kinds of different uh, you know levels to this game and layers to this game which is surprising giving its simplistic kind of rule set and and the basic of you know the basic flow of the game of you know you have four things that you can do. And I think we agree that uh, the game is very streamlined, Uh, the game is very simple to teach, um, and yet the game does offer some good strategic decisions, but with enough luck thrown in there to keep it fresh and to keep the game from becoming repetitive and stale. And so there's a lot of strengths there. Uh, I think we've also kind of mentioned... Uh, you know, a little bit of, of the color issues with the game, but other than that, I think the game scores very high marks for, you know, everything else other than, uh, of course, I think uh, the money, right? I don't think, you know... I, oh, yeah. I always play this game with poker chips because I just I, I can't stand paper money in any game, to be honest with you. So, uh, But I don't know that I can necessarily fault the manufacturer for that. Uh, you know, you can't include a set of uh, custom poker chips for every game. Um, so you know, there's not really any complaints that I have, uh, you know, about this game. I mean, you know, I always think about that, you know, is there anything that you do differently? And other than that one color change there's really nothing else that I can think of. So is there anything else that, you know, you'd like to say or that, you know, we haven't covered Joel about Airlines Europe, something that, you know, has been percolating in your mind that you'd like to uh, maybe share?
1: Well, yeah, just some general things. I mean, the paper money is is an issue. It's some of the worst paper money I've ever used, because um, <laughs> it's very, very thin. It's like it's almost like tracing paper thin. It's very thin and flimsy, and, uh, and 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 you can't have like you like we were talking about a couple of terms where people are taking money or laying stock down, and there's a lot of money changing hands, and it's kind of a pain. Um, I mean, there's that aspect There's the the red and the orange. I would like there to be a sort of a setup cheat sheet. Now, each player gets a little card that has a player aid, which you don't really need, but it's nice. Mm -hmm. And on the other side, it has a a number of stocks and airlines for each airline on the flip side of that. It would be nice to have like a setup, uh, like just a player aid one-sheet setup. So you didn't have to go and dig and go. Okay, how many cards do you deal? With? Do you? Because I've i forgottenly dealt everybody six, right? And so you deal them eight, and you end up with six because you put two in front of you. You know, it'd just be nice to have those like off on the side, so you could just quickly refer to that without having to flip and read through a rule book. Um, yeah, I don't know though with the game if I'd really change anything about it at all. I mean, I think it it does what it's supposed to do. Um, I don't know. I mean, I've played it with two, two even, and I and I enjoyed it.
0: Yeah, yeah, uh, I was it's surprised, not the greatest.
1: Yeah. I'd much rather play it with probably four, mm-hmm. five, mm-hmm. three's fine too. Uh, and there's a variant that was officially released by Abacus Spiel to play it with six. I haven't ever played it with six, um, and I can't remember what it was. It's a very very simple change, and just I was just reading about it uh, when they introduced it, and it seems pretty, pretty, uh, you know. It, like it should work. I mean, I don't know that I'd want to try it. Um, but, yeah, it's, uh, you know, I think we've said pretty much everything that there is to say. Uh,
0: <laughs>
1: I can't think of too much else to say about it. Um,
0: All right. So, you know, you, you give this game a, a hearty thumbs up, and, a, and I think I do as well. Uh, the, the last thing that I want to ask you about, Joel, is do you have any experience? I got from the Board Game Geek store, uh, the Flight Band. Uh, Mm -hmm. expansion for the game and and for those who aren't familiar with it uh, the flight uh, band basically gives you these tokens that you can use to cover up a route So that another player uh, cannot claim that. In other words, we had talked before uh, in the show about how, you know, a connection, say, between like Paris and, uh, I don't know, Frankfurt or Berlin or something. I don't know if there's actually a connection. I don't have the board in front of me, but let's say it's like Paris to Frankfurt and there's three different spots. Uh, for routes that could be claimed, and, and these these tokens allow you to block one of those off, uh, which can, you know, effectively kind of force other players to reroute and, and do other things. Uh, have you tried that expansion? I mean, I picked it up because it was cheap and because I thought, well, especially in a two player game, it would probably add a, a, a little bit. Of that tightness to the board that that can be lacking in a two-player game, mm-hmm. um, and, and so I haven't yet tried it. But I was curious if you had, have you tried that yet?
1: No, you know I, I had it, um, and then I got rid of it without even trying it. Uh, it kind of, I've thought about it. I thought it be, might be nice, and I think you're probably right. It might actually make the two-player a little bit better. Um, but uh, I got rid of it because one of the things that I dislike about Ticket to Ride because it is presented as a gateway game is the whole thing where you can just totally jack somebody and build like right where they are and then they basically um they can't do much about it because there is so much luck in the game. And you know you could you could really hose up somebody good and I actually play Ticket to Ride only with the Europe stuff with the stations so that Um, if I do jack somebody, they still can get around it. Right. And I think that would, I think that would, um, uh, lessen the game in my eyes because at this kind of game and I have it, you know, it's, I have it in my point of view that I would like this to be a nice gateway game where you can, you know, take stock from people. You can build over routes. So they've got to do a little bit more work to build, uh, you know, optimally, I wouldn't want that in your face, you know, punch in the face with this game. Okay. Uh, I just, I just don't think it would work, and it would just, I just, uh, I don't know. I, to me, if in a family game atmosphere, you don't want to be get too in your face because then, you know, it's it's about the social aspect and not so much about like I'm better than you or whatever. I mean, it's not always like that either with gamers, but. Um,
0: right. <laughs> but
1: yeah, I, I stay stay away from that.
0: I think it. I think you're right. I think it would add a. Uh, based on my read of the rules for it, it would add a sort of a meanness uh, to the game that, that the game really doesn't have, um, right. because it's 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 kind of rare, at least in in the player counts that I've played with, which has been mostly three and four. Um, it's kind of rare for all routes to kind of fill up. You know, sometimes people are kind of stymied because of finances, not because they don't have a path. So. Uh, I, I think you right, know, right right, yeah, I think you're right, in that it it might you know kind of take the level of conflict in the game up a notch, which some people might really like, um, right. but you know would uh you know maybe not kind of be uh consistent with the general feel of the game as it is out of the box, you know grown from that kernel of an idea that you're talking about, so um, yeah. Well, you know, uh, Joel, uh, I, once again, I'm very uh, happy to have you on the podcast and appreciate your time and, and sharing your thoughts about this game. It, it is, I think, um, one of those games that is going to stay in my collection for a long, long time. I, I, I haven't really found anything that's replaced it. Um, you like to title your video reviews, you know, Something Killer. Um, And to me, Airlines Europe was the definitive ticket-to-ride killer. I I, I have absolutely no idea. No, not no idea. I have no desire to introduce people to Ticket to Ride anymore. As a matter of fact, it just came up recently where we were looking at buying uh, a game as a gift for a family that had just started getting into board games. And I had said to my wife, well, you know, should we get them Ticket to Ride? And she's like, no. You know, she's like, get them Airlines Europe. I'm like, oh, Mm -hmm. okay, well. Uh, yeah, um, and, and so I think it really has kind of, at least in my mind, replaced that game. Um, you know, it, it and it, it's it's deeper. It offers more strategic choice. Um, there's more tension in the game, and yet it's not as nasty as Ticket to Ride can get. Um, you know, I mean, Tom Vassell will tell you right off the bat. You know, you can play Ticket to Ride super nasty, uh, in the same way that you can play Carcassonne incredibly nasty as well. Um, but you know, sometimes I wonder if you're not right. And, and, and if that's not maybe the intent of where that game was supposed to go, I'm not really sure. Uh, especially in the case of Carcassonne, I I think Carcassonne is is supposed to be maybe a little more of a relaxed affair. Uh, whereas I think Ticket to Ride might've been designed with that, with that, uh, punch in the face kind of feel that you're talking about.
1: Yeah. And it's going to depend on the, on the families too. I mean, I'm kind of speaking a little out of school and it's just, you know, there could be, you know, every family is different. It could be a family that They really like to get after each other. Right. You know, and, and, and they're, they're fine with it. So, but I think in a mixed setting, then you, you kind of maybe you should err on the side of non-nastiness. But you never know. I mean, it just depends right. on the players, really.
0: Well, you know, but I, but I, I, I want to kind of go back to the point you made, though, because I think you may have something there, which is, uh, you know, the idea that, okay, my family loves Survive. Um, mm-hmm, they absolutely mm-hmm. love that game and that game is designed from the get go to be in your face trying to kill everybody else's people making yes. the, the sound effects as the shark swims up and eats the person and you know burps and say, But my, my family likes to do that they'll burp <laughs> and say tastes like chicken <laughs> that's our favorite thing um, that game is designed to be that way so everybody's okay with it everybody's cool with it nobody's yeah. feelings get hurt um, and so I think there might be something to what you're saying, which is that you know the design of the game itself kind of uh, has a feel maybe to it that when you change it, um, it it, it kind of alters it and and it can maybe leave an impression or a taste if you if you will that you know might sour people on it. You know, it's like well. You know, Airlines Europe does not seem to be that kind of game. It's not an in-your-face, um, smack the other person. It's much more sneaky and and leechy and devious. And you know, um, yeah. whereas Survive, you know, you're going for the throat from word you know from word one. So, I think there's something to what you're saying there, which is that I think the design of the game um, has a lot to do with maybe what people's expectations are of the experience. And so, while I would agree with you that depending on the players you play with, uh, that can have a huge impact on the course of the game, I, I don't know if you're, you're wrong in your assessment of Airlines Europe being a game that is supposed to be a little more family-friendly and a little less in your face. So, Mm -hmm. Um, I think you might have something there and and we might have to add that to the Eddie theory or something that that might be part of the developing Eddie theory, which is what is, what is this, you know, kernel of this game idea? What is this game supposed to be? You know, uh, is there a feel that it's supposed to convey? Um, Because games do have different feels. I don't think there's any way to deny that. So um, again, you know, thank you very much for, uh... being on the show and thank you for contributing your ideas as always it's always uh... fascinating to get to talk to you and fun to talk to you and I appreciate you taking the time. Um, I also would be remiss if I didn't uh, mention our generous hosts, uh, which is 2d6.org. Um, it's a wonderful website. Right now, uh, they're running yet another interview segment. And I would really strongly encourage people to go and participate in these interviews where you get to ask designers or publishers. Right now, I believe it's David Serlin. Uh, by the time this episode's posted, that will be done. But I'd encourage you to go back in the archive at 2 2- d 2D6 and take a look at that. But this is an ongoing series that I find particularly fascinating where you get to ask questions of designers and publishers, uh, maybe you know things that you've always been curious about. And it's something that uh, I, I really appreciate about the 2D6.org website. So I'd encourage you to go there and take a listen to that. I'd also be remiss if I didn't mention my other sponsor, which is Gamesurplus.com. Uh, you can find them at www.gamesurplus.com. And it is one of the best sites I've ever found for, uh, not only their prices, which are always super fantastic, very competitive, uh, if not the best on the net They're they're, they're very, very close. Um, but, uh, the service is incredible at game surplus and Thor and his family are super people to deal with. And if they don't have something, uh, they will track it down like bloodhounds for you until they find you a copy. So, uh, I want to give a shout out to them as well. So Joel, thanks again uh, to you as well for participating in tonight's episode and for uh, agreeing to come on and talk to me about Airlines Europe
1: It's always a pleasure
0: Jeff. And thank you all out there for listening. Good night